Uh, I love John's record of Jesus. John has such a special record of Jesus. Through John's gospel, we get a deliberate but also affectionate recording of Jesus' actions, teachings, and self-identity. John is self-claimed the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we get to see this great kind of picture of what it looks like to be doing life with Jesus up close. The book of John specifically orbits around seven statements that Jesus makes to unfold his self-identity. And through these statements, it's almost as if Jesus is igniting his hearers' hearts and minds around the notion that he is indeed the God of Israel in the flesh for all to see. And John 10 is actually one of my favorite of those statements where we see Jesus depict himself as the good shepherd, the good, gracious, and gentle keeper of the sheep. And so the text that we're going to read through this morning, and we're going to kind of take a journey through discovering, is John 10, 11 through 18, where he says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There, there, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So as we read this text, there are a number of questions that bubble to the surface, but the question that we're going to spend a majority of our time kind of uncovering is, can this shepherd be trusted? Can this shepherd be trusted? And to answer this question, we are going to address the following as seen in the text. The character of the shepherd, the intimacy of the shepherd, and lastly, why this shepherd can be trusted. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you're present here. Thank you that you're preaching here. Thank you, Lord, that we can find comfort and delight and hope and guidance in your word. We stand on scripture in this moment and we say that, Lord, thank you so much for giving us a framework for truth. In a cultural moment where truth becomes more and more difficult to locate, Lord, you stand and you say, follow me, follow me. For in following me, you find green pastors. In following me, you find a restored soul. In following me, you can actually stand as light in the midst of darkness. I pray, Lord, that we'd find joy in the goodness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. It is evident to me that both religious and irreligious are on the hunt for a right-fitting shepherd. People look to influencers, substances, specific ideologies, their family unit, and even their careers in search for a home for their ultimate affection, security, and comfort. 
But, when we, but what we see time and time again is that the things that, try, that we try to put our weight on, like career and family and influences, were not actually meant to carry the ultimate weight of our reliance. Jason often says we put, weights on thi- we put weight on things, and oftentimes when we put that weight on things, they crumble. But Jesus was actually the only one who was meant to carry that weight. And in this text, what we see Jesus doing is providing us a better option, something that can actually withstand, or should I say someone who can actually withstand the weight of our reliance. In verse 11 through 13, we read that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the shepherd. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. I'm just being paid for this. I I don't actually have a vested interest in this. I'm just running away because this no longer serves any advantage to me. Then the wolf attacks it, attacks the flock, and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. First, we meet the character of the shepherd. Jesus punctuates this by contrasting the good shepherd and with that of the hireling, or what I like to call the bad shepherd. I'm going to take a moment to do some, a bit of heavy lifting and bringing us through uh, what Jesus is referencing and the context behind the good shepherd and what his audience would have known uh, to, to be uh, the shepherd and shepherding as a, as a trade in general. Uh, the culture to which Jesus was speaking was an agrarian society where people understood shepherds and their role in the context of sheep well. The land of Israel was full of, was full of shepherds and sheep. Many listeners would have been able to reflect on very practical and localized examples of personal experience shepherding or a close relative or close friend being shepherds themselves. More deeply, some upon hearing the saying would have had portions of Israel's scripture, or as we know, the Old Testament, land on their hearts. So scriptures like Genesis uh, 49, or Psalm 23, or even Isaiah 40, where they saw the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob revealed to them as the good, good shepherd of Israel. Also, the audience was not likely strangers to the dark side and practical realities of this trade of shepherding. One biblical author uh, speaks of a shepherd rescuing two legs or a piece of an ear out of a lion's mouth. Another biblical king shares with his predecessor and father-in-law how when he was keeping his father's sheep, he had to battle with lions and bears. And yet another prophet in the Bible speaks of the crowds of shepherds being called out to deal with a lion. Further, the legal portion of the Old Testament explained in Exodus 22, 13, that if the sheep be torn in pieces, let him bring, let the shepherd bring a piece for a witness. In other words, shepherds were held accountable. If the sheep was killed or injured, they had to answer for that to the ultimate owner. You literally had to bring a piece of the sheep to prove that it was an animal that caused the sheep's death and not just your negligence. In the Mishnah, which is the first major written collection of Jewish oral traditions, it states that an interesting provision that if one wolf attacks the flock, he is required to defend the sheep. The shepherd is actually required to defend the sheep. But if two wolves were attacking the sheep, that would count as an unavoidable accident. That is crazy intense. So if there's one wolf, step up your game, bro. If there's two, fine, okay, you're good. (laughs) That's an unavoidable accident. There's an old book called The Land in the Book, 
and it gives an extra biblical look at the gravity of shepherding. The author says this, I have listened with intense interest to their graphic descriptions of downright desperate fights with savage beasts. And when, the, and when the thief and the robber come, the faithful shepherd has often to put his life in his hand to defend the flock. He says, I, know, I have known more than one case where he had literally to lay it down in the contest. A poor fellow last spring between Tiberias and Tabor, and Tabor, instead of fleeing, actually fought three Arab robbers until he was hacked to pieces with their knives and died among the sheep he was defending. As we reflect, it is important to know that sheep serve no tangible benefit to the shepherd. Yes, we can argue that you can monetize the wool, but at the end of the day, it was often the shepherd that walked away with the shorter straw. And so for me, as I look at this text, I realize that shepherding was more of a calling than an occupation, more of an honor than a chore. William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage, affirms this. He says, a real shepherd was born to the task. He was sent out to his flock as soon as he was old enough to go. The sheep became his friends and companions and became second nature. It became second nature, nature to think of them before he thought of himself. But the false shepherd came into it not as a job, or not as a calling, but a job, but as, and a, as a means of making money. He was in it simply and solely for the pay he could get. He had no sense of the height or the responsibility of the task. He was only a hireling. He was only a hireling. So Jesus was speaking with a world that was well acquainted with the trade of shepherding and an audience well acquainted with the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. So now, now that we've done our research, we've done the heavy lifting, we see that Jesus' audience would have known a shepherd to be a fierce protector, a loyal friend, and a nurturing guide to a sheep no matter the external circumstances. And we see that this is why Jesus juxtaposing himself against the bad shepherd would have been so powerful in this moment. The good shepherd says, your livelihood depends on me, so I'm here no matter what. The bad shepherd says, I'm here as long as your presence bolsters my livelihood. The good shepherd has a vested interest in the sheep beyond mere utility or economic value, whereas the hired shepherd says, the moment crisis hits or you become more of a burden than a benefit, my job is done. A lot of us have become so bought in to modern-day bad shepherds with pithy sayings and strong brands, but as we saw throughout this period of crisis and unpredictability over the last few years, when we needed the intimate care and presence of a good shepherd, they were nowhere to be found. As, long as, he, as much as he is well-articulated and provides compelling cultural commentary, Jordan Peterson wasn't there for us. Oprah wasn't stepping in, leading us through the pandemic. Joe Rogan wasn't wiping dry our silent cries. Joe Rogan definitely wasn't wiping our tears. <laughs> Bill Maher wasn't talking us through anxiety. The TikTok and Instagram algorithm wasn't giving us a framework for dealing with our missed expectations. A lot of these people and tools mentioned aren't inherently bad. Some of them are actually really helpful. But they should not be trusted with our heart's attention and spiritual formation. Do you notice that all of these modern shepherds I use vary in respects to the political spectrum? Because some of us, it's so funny, some of us have abandoned our key sources of Christian community in the season and allowed these bad shepherds to polarize us against our friends and families. But what we find in Jesus is a shepherd 
with no political home, not leading us to a side or an agenda, but ultimately leading us to salvation and our ultimate well-being. He leads us and cares for us because there is something, uh, because there is, not because there's something he gets from it, but simply because he's, it is in his nature and in his character to serve us in the bad and in the good. He shows us in times of hardship that he is not a cosmic opportunist who's in it for our tithe money or our Sunday, or our Sunday hours, but he's in it for us, I, our livelihood and our flourishing. The good shepherd says in times of crisis, when everything else is failing, when all that you have worked for in life is washed away, I am here and I am not leaving. But the challenge is this. It is true and believable cognitively that Jesus is indeed the good shepherd, but we still often live as if he's the third or fourth option up against the litany of shepherd choices that culture presents. Sometimes we put our confidence and allegiance in these shepherds that actually have no vested interest in us. It looks like they are doing something for us, but in actuality, we're actually doing all the work for them. Think about careerism. Think about money. Think about influence. All these things that promise a return but always turn up void. Time after time, we give ourselves to these false shepherds just to realize how untrustworthy they are. And Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. Come to me for protection, security, and fulfillment. You can trust me. It becomes clear that we can, deserve, we can discern the substance of a shepherd by what they do when there's nothing to be gained. No votes, no subscriptions, no YouTube watch hours, no social or political gain, no protection or convenience. As a matter of fact, the substance of a shepherd and his posturing towards a sheep is actually best seen in adversity. Jesus was explaining that this shepherding was a part of his nature and character, and he would remain no matter the weather or challenge. Rain came, wind blew, and the shepherd, stood with, the shepherd stood with his sheep. Isn't this good news? Isn't this the greatest news of all? And this is indeed his character. It's the character of God. We talked about the comfort of the shepherd. But I want to talk about now the intimacy of the shepherd. Jesus says, continues to say in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus uses the word know four times in two verses to invoke a picture of intimacy, a closeness of relationship that he has with his sheep as the shepherd. The word here means to come to know through personal experience. One commentator by the name of Gary Bird says this, the Middle Eastern shepherd is well known for having personal devotion to his sheep. He talks to them and sings to them. Often shepherds will carry a short flute and use a repeated tune so that the flock has a consistent auditory cue to follow. The idea that Jesus is portraying is my sheep find comfort in knowing me intimately and allowing me to know them intimately. There's this thing growing up that my dad would often do. It was like this celebratory cadence where he would say hip, hip, hooray, but he would just say hip, hip, and then like pause so that I can say hooray. And he would, he would do this in, in these celebratory moments, and he'd say, maybe let's try it together. Hip, hip. 
Okay, that was lame. <laughs> hip hip. Okay, one more time, because I don't love the hype of this moment, but I think we just need to do it as a community. Hip hip. Awesome. And uh, this became a celebratory beckon from my dad that I became all too familiar with. I associated deep feelings and emotions and joyous memories with this hip hip hooray cadence that were far deeper than the cadence itself. So Christmases, celebrations, and other special moments would seldom go by without my dad repeating this exclamation. It was a tone, it was a pitch, it was a cadence that I knew. I knew it like intimately. And years had gone by, and it, it had been a while since I heard that cadence. Until his birthday a few months ago, when I watched the video, because I'm not living with him in person right now, he's in Ontario, but I watched the video where he was opening presents, and I saw him sit around a table with family and friends, and he said, hip, hip, hooray. And for me, I almost felt like this deep, like I was, felt like I was flooded with emotion. The memories came flooding back, and I was struck with emotion. Memories of all the times of joy, all the times of celebration, the Christmases, the birthdays, the graduations. And in this moment, I realized the deep comfort and security I found in this familiarity. In other words, the closeness of our relationship was where I derived a measure of comfort. I knew my dad, and my dad knew me. His voice became a soothing mechanism for me, even as a man grown up in his late 20s, I can like hearken back to the, the memory after memory where I heard my dad repeat this cadence. And I believe that this is the very image that Jesus is bringing to the forefront of our imaginations. But Jesus' intimacy goes much deeper than just making us feel good and comfortable. The shepherd's knowledge of the sheep translated into action that served both the immediate and long-term benefit of the sheep. The shepherd's intimacy meant caretaking. It meant understanding the nuance of the tendencies of the sheep. It meant going after and restoring lost sheep when they've gone astray. And what he's saying through this beautiful parable is that he knows us, our tendencies, our pro proclivities, and our quirks. And our trust in him is built as we allow him to know us, the real us, intimately and personally, the good and the bad. And he still chooses to take us deeper in relationship with him. But what we often do is sacrifice this deep intimacy and knowledge at the hands of the fake shepherds of our contemporary moment. And we go through life never experiencing life as a person who is truly known. Here's an example. A few months ago, Mariah and I watched this documentary that depicted the life of old-time actress Marilyn Monroe who seemingly had it all. She had the fame, the money, the connections, the freedom to buy and do whatever she wanted. Her life was characterized by glitz and glamour and fame and sex and superstardom, but it was ended by her devastating death where on August 5th, 1962, she was found dead in her home in Los Angeles. She was discovered lying nude on her bed, face down, with a telephone in one hand and empty bottles of pills litter around her room. Isn't this the all-too-familiar tale of Hollywood gone wrong? The epitome of what our society craves turned in on itself? As I watched, I was grieved as I was struck by the ironies of the story and the narrative. The irony of a life of fashion, glitz, and glamour ending in the nude, 
the irony of a life of fame, popularity, and connection ending with a telephone in one hand, no one on the other line, and relationshipless. The irony of a life of passion, pleasure, and sensation ending at the hand of a pill overdose. Her life crumbled due to the various soothing mechanisms she entrusted with her care, intimacy, and devotion. If this isn't a picture of a society poorly shepherded, I don't know what is. Marilyn Monroe's life collapsed at the hand of misplaced intimacy, guidance, and allegiance. I wish I could say, however, that this was a kind of standalone story that represented an actress that made poor decisions that happened to end her life up lost and alone. But no, this is actually an extreme playing out of what happens when we put the weight of our hearts on hired shepherds, on hirelings, on people who weren't actually meant to carry the weight of our hearts. Marilyn's fate was a micro picture of a culture poorly shepherded. And to our culture, Jesus says, you will never be truly satisfied, you will never be truly fulfilled until your ultimate security and care is found in me. You're seeking to find intimacy in things that don't promise that. Know me, my son, my daughter, and allow me to know you. Come close to me and you will find and know me and my power that will transform you from the inside out. So we touched on the comfort and the character of the shepherd. We touched on the intimacy of the shepherd. And so now, if you don't already trust this shepherd based on his character, or you don't already trust this shepherd because of the intimacy he provides, my hope is that the last point will be a bit more convincing. Lastly, let's talk about why I believe that this shepherd can be trusted. Jesus continues to say in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father. So we ask the question, can this shepherd be trusted? Can this shepherd be trusted? There's a lot of different shepherds that have led me astray. There's a lot of different shepherds that have fallen short I've tried alcohol, I've tried careerism, I tried working harder, I've tried all these things that have claimed that they could be my shepherd and my number one guide. But for some reason, time and time again, those shepherds keep proving faulty. How can I trust this shepherd? And our answer is found in what he is willing to give. If you are listening closely, there is something that Jesus says four times in this text. Verse 13, verse 15, verse 17, and verse 18, almost as if to say, please take a hint, my listeners, my readers. Four times he says it. It is the answer to the following questions. What makes me worthy of your time? 
It is the answer to what makes me worthy of your allegiance? What makes me worthy of your trust? What makes me better than any other shepherd that this world has to offer? And he says this answer four times in this text. Four times he says it. He says, I lay down my life, verse 13. I lay down my life, verse 15. I lay down my life, verse 17. I lay down my life, verse 18. But what we can't do is read this text and negate the fact that we read this text aware of the cross and Jesus' sacrifice on it. We have like this delightful, almost foreshadowing that we get to read this with because we know what comes at the end. We know how the story ends. But Jesus' audience in this instance would have seen these sayings as theoretical. They would have understood Jesus' teachings cognitively and maybe thought, what a beautiful metaphor. Wow, what a good teacher he is. But then, Easter weekend came, and they all would have been struck and disoriented. They all would have said, wait a minute, and echo back to this moment in John 10. He wasn't just using an empty metaphor. He wasn't saying, metaphorically, I'm the good shepherd, who is metaphorically willing to defend, metaphorically willing to care for, and metaphorically willing to protect the sheep. He wasn't saying, I will metaphorically lay down my life. But on the cross, covered in blood, pierced in the hands, he was saying, do you see it now? I'm in the most literal sense the shepherd of Israel that you see in Genesis 49, Isaiah 40, and Psalm 23, and riddled throughout scripture. But this time, I'm not going to write you about it. I'm not going to preach to you about it. I'm going to show you it. And then that good shepherd, standing before all his sheep, hangs there on the cross and says, as a shepherd, it's not the time anymore for me to lead you with a wooden stick. I'm now going to be nailed to it. How can you trust me, you ask? Why am I worthy of your trust? Why am I worthy of your heart's attention? This part, I always get emotional. When we talk about Jesus, why is he worthy of our trust? When every other shepherd abandons you in the face of crisis, when every other shepherd falls short, when every other shepherd alienates and excludes you, when their job's done, when your favorite celebrities and influencers were sitting pretty in their compounds and, ma- and mansions during the pandemic, I brought you so close so you can feel my comfort. I laid down my life so that you can have yours. There was this interesting moment in a GQ interview from 2018 with Helen Lewis where Jordan Peterson felt awestruck by the chaos of our culture and the problems that feel unsolvable in society. And he said this throwaway line. He says, it would be lovely if there was a strong man who could solve all our problems. I just wanted to insert myself in the interview and say, there is, Jordan, there is! Although this was a cheeky response to his interviewer's challenges, What he failed to realize is that there is a strong man and he solved all our problems and the greatest problem of all, which is the problem of sin. The problem he solved by laying down his life. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness in Christ Jesus. And so there's two ways to respond to this. The first way 
is individual, and the, the second way is communal. And we're just going to take a moment. Individually, I want to invite us to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. Allow him to bubble to the surface that which you put undue security in and that which has served as a bad shepherd in your life. 